0: Alright guys, welcome back to another podcast, this is number 17 and I'm joined by a couple of guests today. Hi, right, guys, Leo and Ksenia, how are you guys doing?
1: Very good, thanks for having us.
0: So, uh, before we get into obviously all the juicy stuff, let's just get the introductions. Which there is plenty of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've been talking about a lot of the crazy things uh, before this podcast has gone on. So let's get the introductions out of the way. Who are you guys and how do I know you? Leo, you
1: want to go first?
0: Yes, so my name's
2: Leo, Um, I'm head of yoga at Block Manchester, and I knew Chet beforehand through Lululemon, but then obviously we asked Chet to come in and get involved when Block opened, because as you obviously all know if you're watching this podcast, he's got all the techers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think we knew each other through our common link forgot his name now um, Imprint Imprint Josh Josh That's the yeah, one Yeah and yes. I think we followed each other for two years and I remember you were doing a lot of that the handboarding
2: boarding, indoor boarding. That's it And
0: you were doing slacklining That's the and one And also acro with Josh as well Yeah so doing I, all sorts of that with Yeah me. and I think for like a year or something I never really heard anything from you because obviously we followed each other on social media and that was pretty much it and then yeah. I think it was because of block Yeah You were like You know, do you want to get on with this? uh... Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, I was um, for a good year and a half before Block opened. I was looking around for instructors and kind of going to different people's sessions, basically talent scouting. Yeah, and yeah, as a result, obviously, (laughs) here we are.
0: (laughs) So, uh, what's your background in? So. where did you start? How did you get into yoga as well? Because that's how you're mainly known for it. Okay, yeah, I got I got actually into yoga because
2: I used to rollerblade professionally. Um, and I thought I was an athlete. And then I went to a yoga class one day and the guy teaching the class had to stick me on three blocks before right. I could sit with a straight spine. My knees were up here and I couldn't breathe. And then I had my first experience with a down dog I was shaking like a leaf and I looked to my right and there was a 70-year-old woman looking really composed and relaxed and I thought, I'm neglecting an element of my fitness. Mm. And so, sort of explored that a little bit more. Also, my dad has limited mobility and so it was definitely something where I looked and thought, I want
0: longevity with what I'm doing. Right, right. And how long was that ago? It
2: was about seven, maybe eight years ago now that I started practicing, but then I just started practicing every single day for at least an hour sometimes two or three hours and then um, you know I have a background in teaching skating and personal training and fitness instructing anyway so it was natural for me to
0: move into the teacher training side of it. So I think about seven eight years ago that's when yoga really started becoming a big thing in the west and I think you were I think from, my, from what I know in Manchester you were one of the the early ones I Funnily
2: enough, actually, I wasn't really centrally based in Manchester, so no. I started, when I started teaching, I was teaching in Altrincham and Wilmslow and around the outskirts, and I only really started teaching properly in Manchester when block opened. Um, I know there there was some very uh, established teachers who now have moved to different places, but I would say, yeah, eight years ago is when everything went huge in Manchester and the hot yoga, the Bikram yoga studio was, was huge and then um, the Life Centre as it is now, that changed from a different hot yoga studio and I think at that point everyone was really paying
0: attention to yoga. Right, right, interesting. And Ksenia? Uh,
1: hi um, everyone, so my name is Ksenia and I know Chet through BLOCK because obviously we met here when BLOCK opened in September and I started going to your classes, so that's when we met. That's actually the same time as me and Leo met. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I used to go to Leo's classes and the rest is history. But my background is, I was born in Estonia. Uh, I come from a Russian family. I grew up in Estonia and then I went to uni in Finland. Um, Then I got scouted there for modeling. So while I was at uni, I started modeling then. Um, but it wasn't my full-time job at all, it was almost like, you know, just earning some money on the side, um, which worked out well but then I went um, then I went to France to study, then I moved to Italy to work and then I moved to Brazil for a while wow. and then I came to UK which was now seven and a half maybe years ago, so I came to Manchester and I've been here since then and then that's when modelling became my full-time job and that's how I started paying my bills basically. Um, and since then, I also got into food styling. That's uh, now maybe three years that I've been food styling. Um, so if nobody knows what food styling is, basically it's any picture of food that you see, there's a person behind um, behind the scenes who made that food and made it look its best. Right. Which might mean that the food is completely inedible Uh, but that's what we do basically and then this year as well I passed my Pilates qualification so I started teaching that a couple of months ago so yeah it's been good a lot has been happening it's a
0: completely different um, sort of
1: completely
0: completely different lives you guys have come from and then just somehow ended up together Mm. so we'll talk about how you guys came together and Mm. how it works with YouTube because you're coming from a yoga lifestyle you're coming from the opposite lifestyle which is the material based lifestyle The fact that you found a way to integrate both of them together is is something that we always talked about at Block, you know, as all yeah. the guys that we know. It's it's crazy how you guys have kind of you're you're like the face of Block, both of you, in Manchester. Just
1: very
0: uh, different faces. It's just it's, it's pretty insane. insane how. What two are you saying about my case?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yours is dented you. and bruised and mine is pretty. <laughs> <laughs> mine
2: is porcelain. I think
0: there's a lot of uh, philosophical element to how, you know, your lifestyle has integrated well with the yoga lifestyle. Yours has really kind of complemented what Ksenia's lifestyle is is doing almost.
1: I think also, um, like, I will kind of start from the end and then I will work its way into the beginning. I think um, because Leo is much more, he practices a lot of yogic... um, philosophies or you know just what yoga is about and yoga is not about being on the mat and doing the asanas or doing the poses yoga is about taking it and applying it into real life like me and you talk about it quite a lot and it's about you know being patient and the non-violence and I think Leo is very much tries to be that you know, embody that as much as he can. He He's very, very positive. He's extremely patient. And those are at least two qualities that I am very, very low on. The percentage of those <laughs> qualities in me are extremely low because I am, I'm definitely an introvert as, as I am. And being positive is, is definitely a thing where and I don't. I just think that it's a waste of time. In my head, it's a waste of time about thinking positively about everything. And he has so much energy that he can dedicate to everything and anything he does. He dedicates all that energy to. So I think that's why we, you know, we do our best to find that balance. And you know, I maybe give him a sprinkling of reality check once in a while, kind of bring him back to earth. And and then he he really tries to make me calmer and like look at things in a more positive way. So I think that's when we have discovered through the months that we have been together. But in the beginning, I think when we just met, it was just, you know, I started going to yoga classes. Um, I have practiced yoga on and off for a few years. Um, I started with Ashtanga. Ashtanga was my first yoga practice. And I was really into into it for about a year. And then my teacher moved. So my practice was very much attached to a person, so I stopped um, and then I wasn't really practicing and then when Block Opened, it was just such a great place to, to, to practice multi-disciplines. And I started going to yoga, I actually went to a few of his cardio killers, which is a horrible <laughs> class. If you are like me and you don't like being out of breath or doing cardio. I don't even know what I was doing there. It must have been like pheromones <laughs> calling me and pulling me into that class because it definitely wasn't the cardio killer. That's so. the
0: one on a Sunday, right? Yeah. yeah. Sunday afternoon it's cardio
1: killer.
2: It's a block move now. Um, I really enjoyed teaching that class, but I definitely think at the time slot it was in on a Sunday, um, it didn't really suit Cardio Killer. I think Cardio Killer mm-hmm. is like an early morning or in the week evening class. You get just it out, after out of the work. way in the
1: morning. Get the sweat off.
2: Or like people finishing work and mm-hmm. just going right. Okay, I need to go and have a forty-five minute blast. Um, so I'm teaching Block Move in that slot when we open the again. But that
1: actually, you know, that the fact that Leo teaches Cardio Killer, which is such an explosive class, mm. like it's all go go go. And then you go to Leo's Yin class, which is it's literally <laughs> a yin and a yang yeah. in him, and I think that's what yoga helped him to do because he is very much hyperactive, and I think it's like it's not just a um, like what what he's like. I think it's almost like. Not, "disability" is a really wrong word. I don't know how to describe <laughs> that. But you know,
0: you
2: know what I'm trying to
1: say like, No, no, it's
2: definitely I'm like, I, I definitely on the spectrum. Yeah, you 100%. know, it's like and, and sometimes, <laughs> no sometimes and that's not autism.
1: like <laughs> <I> definitely <laughs> but I,
2: ADHD for sure, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and
1: you know, I know a lot of like people with autism and ADHD and you know they're all incredibly talented people and they're so passionate. and, But the thing with Leo is that he will bounce from one thing to another. And that's why, that's where I come in and I'm like, right, right now, this is what we're doing. Mm. We're doing it from start to finish, then we're moving on to something else. Because he's chaos. It's true. He's just Man, chaos. I can relate to
0: that, where you start a project and you uh, rather start multiple projects yeah. but never yeah. finish one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um,
2: as well, really, that was the other thing that really um, hooked me into yoga was that anchor and that grounding. Mm. Um you know I I know a few different people actually and I meet them and I think wow like yoga would really really benefit you and make you so much more powerful they have all the energy all of the movement all of the activity but then uh, (laughs) I used to play a lot of squash and a guy said to me once after I'd won a match actually an older guy he was like oh you know you're like a nuclear bomb I was like oh what do you mean he was like all of the power, none of the responsibility, and I was like, like, oh, and then another guy I remember said to me years ago when I was at, um, what's that movement place called in Manchester that I don't even know if it still exists now, it's in Salford, Um, green and white logo, can't remember, but the guy there had a last session with him and he taught me to backflip off a wall, Hmm. and he said, he sort of, he was quite a grounded character and he asked me everything that i did and this was before yoga so it was oh well i skate professionally i play squash i do this you know, too much yang and not enough yin mm. and i didn't really even know the concept of yan and yin then and i read it read it and looked it up and it made me realize that actually so yoga for me is a, a lot more unnatural mm. than say teaching a cardio killer class really? that is which my I natural which i think a remit. lot of
1: people who would meet leo would yeah, think, think so, very around. different because yeah. oh, and no. then they would think oh you know he like He's yoga, you know, he's a yoga teacher and he's what he does but really I, that's not his but natural. that's a credit
0: to you mm. the fact that people see you as the yoga teacher guy means that for you to go from what you were before which is the hyperactive guy that mm. just can't stay still mm-hmm. to yeah. be known as the guy that's chilled all the time because that's, that's how we've we known you well it depends though in what circles because with the roller discos that
2: I have I mean with those there's like 150 kids there you're teaching them I actually do the DJing there as well and do all the announcements on the mic and I have to be super young there, really engaging and interactive with the kids and very high energy. Um, and I definitely would be very interested to see where I would be right now had I not found yoga. Right, Um right. You know, I feel like I would possibly burn out at some point because it, everything I was doing was just that way. There was no calm, there was no focus, no
0: meditation, mm-hmm. so, yeah. yeah. I can definitely relate to that because when, when I was younger and then when I went to university, it really manifested then. Um, I was exactly the same. I think I had ADD, so it wasn't too crazy, it wasn't ADHD, but it was still um, having, having a problem with the attention, having your mind focused mm. on one thing. And I remember that manifested into not being able to sit still. So do you know when you have that irritable sensation where if you sit still for too long, yeah. mm. you just feel like very shaky and jittery. I used to have that. And when I got to university. My friends knew not, never to put me in, this, in the middle of the benches. So when we sit in the lecture theatre, not to, be, to have me in the middle because they know straight away. If he's in the middle, he's going to start panicking and just kind of running around. crazy. you don't
1: have the option of getting you out. You can't get out. Yeah.
0: It's the fact that you've got the escape there. So when you're on the edge, you know straight away that at any point if you wanted to leave, you're there yeah. to leave. Mm. But when you're stuck in that middle part, you're, you're almost sandwiched in between mm. people. It's a very dark place. Yeah. And I feel like maybe you've also experienced that dark side that's come out. The dark side has come out through.
2: Interestingly, I used to ignore all of my feelings completely. Mm. I would just be young with everything. So if I started to feel unhappy, I would just go and skate. Mm. And I'd go and skate for four or five hours, and I would exhaust myself to the point where I was too tired to think. Right. And that's what I would do on a subconscious level. And what was really interesting is I um, started doing care work when I was about 12 or 13 with um, a kid who... Was skating at the skate park, and his mum asked me to take him skating and be his care worker. And I went through all of the processes with him because he has Asperger's mm. and ADHD. <laughs> and when I did that training, it was such an eye opener because I was, you know, a bit of a troublesome child in terms of my energy levels and hyperactivity. But it was never something that was labelled back then right. as this specific. Condition now is condition or type of type of mentality or whatever you would call it. Um, but that taught me a lot working with him and actually working with him and seeing all of his um, things that he was fighting and battling with. It made me realise that I'd had those things too, and kind of gave me more self awareness, which is something I never had before. I had no self awareness at all. I would just do things. I would never really think about why. I would just
0: do things for the sake of doing them. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Just feeling like the only way you can is either not confront your feelings and emotions is to kind of distract yourself and do something else, and it's like... Right. I used to have this thing where um, it's almost described as being a clown-like, so if you look at the, the psychology of a clown, the reason why a person becomes a clown or performs in a circus, one of the reasons, is they've got issues that they're not willing to address so the way they deal with those is through laughter and making other people smile and happy and from that a lot of people mistake that as oh this person must be happy all the time if you've got that much energy you're so bubbly you must be happy all the time but it's not really understanding that behind the layer if you peel the layer off there's a there's a child there that's really struggling with things and you know you're the only way you feel as though you can deal with it is if you continue you know, either pushing it aside and focusing on things that you enjoy or just completely ignoring it altogether, which eventually it melts over, doesn't it? Like, you eventually it has to come to a breaking point, like you said. And uh, I don't know if you ever reached that breaking point.
2: Um, I think I was probably lucky enough to not reach that breaking point as a result of going on my teacher training and in the teacher training it was a really amazing training actually because a lot of yoga trainings they just teach you how to teach yoga, they teach you a sequence, you basically copy and paste and they create teachers that can all teach the same sequence which is fine in a way, some people need that. Um, This teacher training, first two days they said, you're not learning to teach yoga right now. You are learning about yourself. You are going to learn who you are so that when you teach it comes from a place of authenticity. So first thing they did when they arrived, we arrived was have us put all our stuff down. It was the evening. We went into the woods and we did a half an hour yosho right. meditation, which is the shaking, screaming stuff. And I was the only guy there, and there was 26 other girls, which people would go, oh, that's great, but actually... I think in society uh, girls are or women are in society encouraged more to speak about their feelings whereas I think men in traditional society we are taught to be silent and not speak about our feelings and I felt really uncomfortable in that environment at first because we had to open up, we had to be vulnerable and actually I was, you know, they started talking about limiting self-beliefs any limiting self mm. like there's nothing everything's good i'm always happy and then throughout that um two and a half weeks everything came to the surface and it wasn't in a bad way because i was in such a supportive environment but it really helped me to realize that i'd been massively neglecting a huge part of myself and just that clown at the clown syndrome or whatever you would call it is perfectly describing what i was like before my trainings for yeah. definite it yeah. changed everything
0: yeah definitely for you you i don't know if you've experienced anything similar like that in the modeling industry because you've got the camera in your face all the time and people are judging you based on the way you look so yeah. i guess you can relate to that in that sense right
1: I mean, the thing is that I always had, I guess, a backbone to separate my work from me and how I feel and how I see myself. Um, I think it's very important if you are in any kind of industry where you get judged by how you look, which it can totally be applied to our industry right now, to the fitness industry. You know, it's like, oh, if you're not in the greatest shape you can be, I don't trust you to train me which is so so sad because there are so many body shapes who can never get to the to the perfect photographed magazine cover shape you know but then the people have incredible integrity in their body they're strong they're incredible teachers they have the skill and the knowledge um, and so it's 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 difficult but you know, for me, I, I always manage to take a no as an answer. You, you have to do that because the amount of times you will hear a no is more than you will hear a yes. Because you know, we go to the castings and I remember I spent a month in Milan one summer and I would have like the, in the morning the agency would send me my itinerary for the day and I would have seven or eight castings. Um, and so you are just running through the city with your portfolio book. Uh, with your heels in your bag, uh, and you're just running from one place to another. And then you turn up to a casting, and Milan is obviously one of the biggest places for modeling, and so many girls there go there for a season. So you go there for a couple of months. And, you know, you would turn up to a casting, and you, you, you have to put your name on a list, on a waiting list. And then you go to look at that list, and you have number 236. And your next casting is in 20 minutes and then you wait like however long it takes because, well, you're there, if you go you might miss the job, and then you, they say, okay, you seven stand in a row, and then they say, you stay, and then you know, they might take a picture of that one person, or you know, you're there and they say, oh yeah, well, your hair is the wrong color your nose is too big, your shoulders are too wide, your, you know, it can be tiny little things. The amount of times that somebody told me I had my lips done. And I'm like, well, do I have to carry a picture of myself as a baby to prove that that's not the, the truth? Um, or do I just let it go? And you just learn to let those things go, you know? So, uh, for me, going to shoot or into a shoot or be video of, or pictures, it's me coming into my work. I I come there and I work. You know, you always laugh how, you know, when I go to calisthenics, I kind of have this poker face because yeah. because I'm there to work, you know. Yeah. I, I go and I think that's maybe my upbringing, the discipline that maybe the you know, there is a stereotype about Russian people being quite strict or quite... And yeah, there's certainly an amount of that. You know, my my dad is quite a... I wouldn't say he's a strict man, but he's certainly
0: disciplined. Yeah.
1: Disciplined, and you know, he, he never never heard him shout. But at the same time, he could he could really hurt you with a word. Like he would just say all the right things for you to hear him. Mm. And you know, it was very much a disciplined childhood, uh, especially when he came from my my dad's side. And I think that's why you just learn to separate those things and treat them as a job and I always kind of think of it as you know when a person who works in a bank goes to work in a bank he looks at the money and it's just it's just money it's just paper it's just something he's working with it's not something that has the value that can affect him and it's the same way you know the comments that I might hear about how I look or how much inches I need to lose off my hips Um, it's just all it's just all there, take it or leave it. You know, I met so many girls through the years because I started modeling when I was 17, I'm 29 now. I met so many girls who get so affected by this industry and it's cruel, it's so cruel. And if you don't not take it personally, sometimes it can be hard and I have seen a lot of people Crumble under pressure and get eating disorders and etc. Which is just horrible. It's it's very very, it's very very sad uh, to watch an industry destroy very young people in that way who just lose their confidence completely. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I'm definitely that person who you know, because you you kind of said that you relate to the fact that, you know, you want to make other people happy and you always wanted to like, not please, but you know, like,
0: really, no, that's yeah, accurate. please, that's you know, accurate. or, you know,
1: for people to like mm. you. Yeah, I think I was accurate. always an opposite. I, I always said, and I always kind of had the, the kind of the position of, I don't have time or the energy to be pleasing anybody at all. Mm. Like, if somebody sticks and stays in my life, that's great. But if not, I'm not gonna mourn you. Like, I I let go of people quite easily. But getting people in or inviting people into my life is even harder. Mm. So that that's always like quite a quite a process of um, I don't quite know if how close I wanna I wanna let you in. But I think that again that that it all roots back to how you have been brought up and how you felt maybe as a child or, you know, how, like my mum is very much loving, we have quite similar mums that are extremely, extremely yeah. loving and, you know, have this so much emotion and love and I think they're also quite like touchy, you know, my mum is very, yeah. like she, she likes, she likes touch and, but. I don't know. It's really strange, and my dad is actually completely opposite. Like, completely opposite. Like, Exactly the same as your dad, Um, and and I think that I don't know. Like, at one point in my life, I just I just went kind of to my dad's side more. Where sometimes I don't like being touched a lot. Like, unless it's a person that I feel extremely connected Mm. and intimate with, I really really (laughs) enjoy that. the physical touch and the physical support because that's what it feels like you know you kind of feel a bit embraced and protected or you know you just somebody's got you and i think that's what what it comes to but then a lot of the times when somebody wants to hold me or touch me all the time my best friend at school oh my god she was just she was just like you guys, she was so hyperactive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Internal temperature, temperature high. high. Wow. wow.
0: Allow it to cool. Right, so this is take three. Um, what's going on? I think this tech, is, tech doesn't want you to talk about it's your friend. Mercury, oh. it's, it's Mercury in retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, so you were talking about your friend. I
1: was talking about my friend. My best friend, who she has been my best friend and my only friend that has stayed with me over all these years of moving because I think that's that's difficult to, to have people that stay in your life yeah. while you're moving places and I've moved quite a few countries. So at school, we went to primary school together and high school together and she was just like you guys. She was just so, she had so much energy and in classes she would like lick her finger, stick it in my ear all the time. <sighs> She would just like poke me, tickle me, I don't know, mess with my hair, she was so, and she was very, very touchy, like very tactile, like she would always hug me and hold me and I don't know, like she was always all over me, but she was, you know, she she has always been my best friend and my mom is kind of like that, not, not in the sticking fingers in your ears way, but she's very, very loving in that way, but I, um, yeah, I found myself at a point in my life where I was, where I went the opposite way of just, yeah, it makes me quite irritable sometimes, especially if it's, um, if you don't catch me in the right moment, then <laughs> then I am quite easily irritable anyways, but that really kind of almost like sends shivers down my spine mm. where it, it's just too much.
0: Do you think that's been created because of the modeling industry?
1: Uh, possible because I think maybe I created that distance between myself and people or you know people in the room with me or just in general where I I think maybe my work in separating myself from work and my own personality have gone like wrong somewhere along the path and now I I don't even like know what's what Mm. anymore because I just uh, I just kind of crawled back into, not a shell, because it's a very comfortable box that I live in actually. You know, I've got like all this little holes that I made myself and I observe. I like, I very much am an observer, I like to watch people and observe people, but I'm always just comfortably like, open the flap, have a little closer close the flap, and I am very, very comfortable in that little bubble that I live in. Um, it's
2: quite a good balance, I, I think, it works works quite well really. I think we balance each other out. For us, out.
1: yeah, definitely, definitely. Because otherwise I think if both of us would have the amount of energy that Leo does... Or if, my, both,
2: if both of us were like you... Oh, God, that's to
1: be a really grumpy, grumpy household. I quite household. like... I think
2: it's quite cute when she gets angry and grumpy. You know? <laughs> I'm like, the problem is, is that I'm, I'm just about knowing the right levels mm. to just poke, just like her best friend used to be. Like,
1: he learned it now, bit. but, you know, in the beginning it <laughs> <he> was <laughs> like... Sometimes annoying. I was like, Leo, right now you need to stop talking, I want to sit in silence. And then when I say silence, I really <coughs> mean silence. Sometimes music irritates me, like, I, I don't know, there must be like a condition where, you know, noises or or just things, it's, it's little things or, you know, sometimes we're in bed and I'm looking at a vase that for some reason like has been turned. and. That's definitely like OCD and I can't go to sleep, I can't relax (laughs) until I go and I twist that vase to how it was before. And it's the same with sound. I really have to be in a mood for any kind of sound, be somebody's voice or music. And I love music, but I I have to be in a mood to have music on. Like I do better with actually TV when it's just some kind of really pointless program just in the background there. Like just white noise rather
2: than music. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. <coughs> you're quite, quite sensitive to something. Yeah,
1: definitely.
2: Um, but yeah, it's interesting um, with all of these chats and just your childhood and how it affects your character yeah. traits and your the parenting styles. And, and you know, I did a lot of training with uh, the yin side of things and your muscle fascia and how it's almost like a memory bank for the history of your mm. upbringing and how all of the history is stored within your body and the fascia and I, you know I remember someone saying to me once, they said oh all well, the stress and trauma is in your body and your muscle fascia and I was like and your emotions I was like yeah sure it is mm. was, this was before yeah but I was like oh ok and then <laughs> I remember I did my 200 hours and uh, one of the one of the teachers there who was extremely, extremely um, well-practised with yin took us through a yin sequence that I'd never really done yin before. And at the end of it, I was super happy, you know, it was, it was sunny, I was in the Rockies in Canada, you know, it was the most beautiful environment, everyone was lovely, you know, I was finally exploring this thing and becoming a teacher doing what I wanted to do. The class was amazing. At the end, really happy, my tear ducts had just opened up and I just had water streaming down my face and I was just like, I don't understand this, but I think that was as a result of hiding from everything for such a long time and I think you get that a lot with people when they come to yin practices. People haven't practiced yin that much Mm. they'll have a class where they have that release you know some people are same with
1: breath i think hundred percent you know yin and breath are just such a triggers for a lot of people the same with me yeah like i um both in yin and in breath for me yin anything with hips like put me in a shoelace Mm. and i am in agony like in such a comfortable place that i'm i'm fidgeting and I want to move out of it, and you know, it's just horrible. Same with backbends. Anything that is a chest opener for me Mm. is horrible. Like we practice acro yoga together and and there's a lot of back bending. There's a lot of Mm. like chest opening and anything with chest opening just it makes me lose my breath. So it's almost like I can't breathe. But that, that I think comes from me like holding on to a lot of things and just bottling up a lot of things so like that's just you opening up your voice or opening up your chest or opening up your heart to anybody or anybody mm. that can see you and I think I avoid those kind of situations
0: yeah. and,
1: and same with, with breath <laughs> when I started going to breath my god I was in bits every single time like I was just in tears and horrible horrible feeling, just heavy, and I would carry that feeling through the whole day after the practice. And um, I remember I went about three, four times with Craig, and I did with Scotty as well, and I was like, I just need to keep going, you know, mm. I need to keep going, I will have a breakthrough, I will feel better. But then I stopped going because I was like, I don't want to feel that way, mm. like it's not nice to feel that way when you have that really heavy feeling. And then I said that's Leo and said okay let's go together. You know we will go together. We'll do breast together. So we went to Craig's class together, and Leo was like lying next to me. And for for some for some parts of it, he had like his hand on me, and you know, and it was it was an incredible experience. I had an amazing amazing session. I still cried, but the feeling I left with was the opposite to what I used to feel it was a release and a relief uh, you know it was just like letting go of a lot of things so breath has been amazing and that definitely was like oh I do want to go again and you know I do want to experience that again and again um, but we know a lot of people for whom breath I think has been quite a life-changing thing yeah it's
0: eye-opening isn't it uh, yeah I've talked to Craig about this the cancer it's fine uh, I've talked to Craig about this when I said to him uh, when you're doing breath work, and I've noticed a lot of people, a lot of people tend to get rigid when they first yeah. do it, and they get the uh, the claws, the, yeah, the talons, yeah, yeah. and T-rex. I, I've never had that, and I said, I said, what could it be with me that's different with everyone else, he goes, well, when you're doing it, your body's like, honestly, like, when you look Receptive at it, to it, it, it's just, your body's dead, like, it, it looks as though you've just literally died, and your, your body's just nice and soft, you've taken away all the stress from your body. And, and he said it's maybe because you don't hold most of the stress mm. in. Plus, all the stretching I've done in the last yeah, God, no, four or five years, you've released all the emotional problems. Probably, you know, yeah. and, it, and it really does help to, to open up the the main two areas. Like you said, the chest area is related to any of the traumas you you face when you've experienced fear. Mm-hmm. So when your father shouts at you, you tend to close mm-hmm. off straight away, or someone who's like a bully or something who shot at you. You tend to hold it there. Plus it's also like you said, when you're when you've gone through a relationship and you've gone through the ups and downs of a relationship, it can affect you emotionally and a lot of the, the problems there are stored in the yeah. chest area. That's why when someone breaks your heart, you feel it there, yeah, and not exactly. there. Yeah. So that is yeah,
1: the Yeah, because here it might be saying one thing, but here where you feel is so so different to and that's why, you know, us telling ourselves to do something It's so pointless, you Mm. know, you really have to go on that journey of feeling and working through the emotion rather than through a thought, Mm. because if you're working through a thought, it doesn't take you anywhere. Mm. You know, it's the emotion that takes you and leads you somewhere.
2: Also as well though, I wonder chat, is it to do with the fact that you're not someone that holds on to things? You're not someone That holds things You know A lot of people They hold on to things And that gets manifested In their physical body And then For them to release that They've got more Of a grip on it Kind of Um, I mean The deep front line In your body Which breath does a lot of work with and these heart openers you know that is where you have a massive knot of fast twitch muscle fibers and it's your fight or flight response mm. and it's you know that any kind of traumatic and stressful situations they get really activated here so and it's interesting with you though because you're very open in your back so it's not kind of it's not it's a not physical, physical thing it's not a no, physical no i just
1: i i i you know when we go in a back bend and sometimes we, we teach together, so I will demonstrate and Leo teaches. Mm. And we will go into a proper wheel and then to a full backbend. And he will be like, hold for five and four. By four, I'm out. Mm. I don't want to stay there. It's just, I don't want to stay there. And it's not that, you know, it's hurting somewhere. You know, that it's like, oh, a massive strain. I can stay there, but I don't want to stay there. So I come out. Yeah. Like anything like this, I always... I'm like, oh, no, I'm out of here, because I can't breathe. It,
0: so- it definitely sounds like a more psychological barrier. Yeah, yeah. and
2: then and then breath work, if you think you are you are working into those fascia from creating expansion and contraction, mm. big expansion and contraction, that's really getting into all of that fascia in your deep front line, mm. you're stretching, you're creating vibration probably from your breath as well. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing. The deeper you get into... And the more you learn about the physical body and, you know, on my yin, the yin training I did recently, it's so funny that um, Western medicine was always saying, oh, you know, meridian theory and meridian lines, they don't really exist. And obviously Eastern uh, medicine was saying, of course they do. You know, we know, we've studied this. And then very recently, uh, in Western medicine, they dissected the fascial lines of the body intricately. Right. So they did a full dissection of all the tiniest parts of the muscle fascia and they laid it out. And there is a 95% correlation with the meridian lines and with the fascial lines. So basically, they've been speaking about the same thing. And in Western medicine, they always just said, oh, you know, the fascia is a layer under the skin that supports your body, it holds your organs in, it's there to protect. And then um, a guy did a. Uh, he was working in somebody's wrist, uh, and he had them under full anaesthesia, but with a microscope. Mm. And it's a fascinating video to watch because it's like a spider's web. It moves and reacts on its own, and it's even something where if you walk along and you feel like you're going to trip, and your body catches itself, that is nothing to do with your brain. Right. Your muscle fascia reacts without any signal from the brain to support you. So it's almost like a a living organism itself in your body and they they've scientifically proven now that stress and trauma for one knows you get tight shoulders when you get stress and trauma it manifests physically as knots in your fascia. They li- it literally becomes knots in your fascia and then so yeah, it's it's just really, you know, with all of this where you hold tension in your body, and depending on your conditions, your childhood, your upbringing, and the trauma that you have, you hold that in completely different places in your mm. body. It's fascinating.
0: So tying in with that, it's quite interesting how um, when you actually look at the body, when you have these pockets of trauma across the body, um, a large portion of guys tend to have most of their emotional baggage mm. in the hips don't know if it's the same for girls, but a lot of the stuff that, when, when I'm doing these uh, stress therapy classes, it's exactly the same protocol, I'm releasing the body, and releasing the tension in the body, and I remember teaching it at Jim and Juice, and, and I think Craig attended and it was just a bunch of guys, and most of those guys were in tears by the end of yeah. the class, and I said, look, this stuff is not supposed to be any of the, the woo-woo stuff, you know, I'm, I'm not going yeah. into any of the deep stuff, no, this course. is the fact that you just sat there quietly focusing on the stretch and realizing that, okay, how do I become consciously relaxed, and uh, I wanted to relate it to uh, cats, so I always mention cats when it, when it comes to stretching. So if you look at a cat compared to a dog, a dog's um, locus of thought is on the exterior, so how it reacts on mm. how you guys come in. So if you come in and you're in a bad mood, the dog knows straight away, maybe I should stay away from him. Um, if, if you're in a happy mood and the dog's literally waiting for your approval, so as soon as you arrive, yeah. the dog's jumping yeah. around all the place, cats are different. Cats don't give two shits about anyone. And the reason for that is because their locus is on them. It focuses on them Mm. and how their body feels. So I remember when I was um, about four or five years ago, when my ex used to have a kitten, when it grew up, I used to watch it walk around her flat elegantly, just very elegantly. And I remember one time I would just just push it lightly off the bed and how softly it would land. And then the instant I went to touch it and they didn't want me to touch it, everything would just flare up. All the muscles would come out now they have the ability to turn that off so when once they've flared up and you leave it alone it all settles down and everything Mm. goes back to normal again we don't have that and dogs don't have that you know they've done studies where dogs (laughs) that are the same size as cats or the species that are about the same size they have pretty much 95 percent of the same anatomy yet uh cats will be 70 percent stronger and the reason why they're stronger is because they have their ability to switch it off and switch it on. Whereas if you always switched on, like the flight or flight response, you can't fully contract or relax the muscle. Like if you have an elastic band that's stretched at this level and you want it to relax again, that's not going to happen. You have to get through that relaxation and stretching phase. Um, So it just shows you that that translates into other parts of your life, so your physical activity and how it translates to your mental well-being. It's interesting. So you mean in terms of
2: um, internal awareness and observation, um, that interception? And basically, it's interesting with, well, yoga and breath and any of these kind of stretching practices, they do, even if you go to one of these practices purely for the physical. Like, when I started doing yoga, I purely did it for the physical. It's so, oh, I'm not very flexible. Oh, that was embarrassing. Okay, I need to work into this. And subconsciously, it is teaching you to, A, deal with stressful situations better because you're being put in a stressful pose and the teacher is programming you to be calm to be present to breathe so that translates into the rest of your life but then that internal is teaching you to listen internally inwardly what's my body doing right now how does this feel and i definitely before yoga that was never it was never about how i felt physically or mentally it was about do i would just do things and The the things that I was doing, I realized, you know, obviously I enjoyed them all and it was great, but so much of it was for validity and approval. The things I was doing, I was performing. I was performing because I wanted people to like me. I was performing because I wanted people to validate me, almost like that dog at the door. Like, literally, same thing, Um, you know, and I was completely unaware of that, but that was a lot to do with my you know, experiences in my childhood that shaped that fear of being alone um, and fear of not being loved, you know? And it's it's interesting. You can analyze all of this stuff very deeply. You can go very deeply and psychologically into it. But actually, even if you're not analyzing any of that, even if you're not taking the depths of the yogic practice into all of the philosophy side of it, it will subconsciously have all of those benefits anyway. And same with the stretching classes you're doing, same with block moves, same with all of that stuff. Yeah, it's fascinating.
0: Definitely. So, talking about this and then bringing it back to how you lived your life in terms of the modeling and stuff, would you say the senior that you know now compared to the senior that was ten years ago? How do you how do you approach the modeling industry now compared to you how you did back then? How has it affected you?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely changed hundred percent because I think in the beginning it was I was so much more full of excitement about it and it was almost like. Oh my god! You know, I got picked. You mm. know, I can, I get paid for my looks, and you so know that, that's a like dog
0: thing again. Yeah, you?
1: you know where you're like, oh, you know, and uh, we were actually talking about this the other day, where I said I've really went through a stage, especially in the beginning of my modelling work, where I was feeling really sexy. Mm. I felt so sexy all the time and it really showed if you compare the images I wish I like,
2: went through that
0: phase ever in my life
1: <laughs> but no it's yeah, really we can't
0: relate. It's, yeah. um,
1: it's, it's actually not very good thing in a way because if you even if you look at the images that you know I have taken in the last three years to compare it to the images that I took six, seven years ago um, it's a totally different person of course you grow and you grow out of a phase but you also grow out of wanting to be wanted Mm. for how you look because that's your job at that you know at that point that was my job so definitely the importance that I was putting on how I was looking and how I was perceived by people was completely different like black and white to how I feel about it today now I really I have no interest actually a lot of the times in what a lot of people think I do care a lot about the opinions of people that I care about but unless you know me and the same way for me I apply that rule to myself unless I know you how can I actually judge you how can I actually say anything about you or what I think you do wrong or right because I don't know you I have no idea what you do in your spare time, I don't know what charities and donations you make in your, you know, somewhere back home, I don't know, like, what you do, Um, but, you know, that's why I really value the opinions of people that do know me and I, you know, I love and I care about them, but when it comes to, you know, I have a YouTube channel, Um, the comments that I get on my YouTube channel, if I take every single comment of them personally, I will not have any time to do anything else but criticize myself mm. and scrutinize everything that I do and everything about how I look, because that is just, that is destroying. It can be destroying, and the same with modeling industry, you know, in the beginning, you know, when I just started, I remember so clearly going to an agency in Helsinki um, and trying to get with this agency, was a bigger agency that I had at that point, and you know, and I was actually in a much worse shape, that was probably the worst shape that I have ever been in um, physically because I just moved from back home, I was 17 going 18, Mm. I just moved to uni and I used to dance and so dancing was my exercise and then suddenly I wasn't exercising, we were partying, we were students, you were eating, just really bad food, I gained quite a lot of weight and then kind of, it was weird because that kind of went with, when my modeling career started, or career, I really hate calling it a career, my modeling (laughs) work, Um, and I remember clearly going into that uh, agency and he got measuring tape out and he measured me and he said, you have to lose six centimeters of your hips and, and then we will, you know, have a chat. Six centimeters is hell a lot, you guys, that's like, that much? Oosh. That much, that's, that's a lot if you look at, you know, like it's the a whole, the body, yeah. Ca- cardio it's, killer daily. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, maybe at the moment I have the same measurements as I had then, but my body shape is so different just mm-hmm. because, you know, the muscle grows and, you know, the fat shrinks, the muscle grows, you know, you get leaner here, bigger here. It's all really, that's why I never really own a scale I don't weigh myself like I think that it's a really horrible thing when women um, go off numbers you know unless you're trying to gain weight I think that's maybe a good indication Um, but, but it's really the reflection in the mirror that you need to be gauging and also how you're feeling how do you feel when you touch yourself or hold yourself or you know how do you feel in your own body and in your skin um, but definitely, you know, I remember, and he was like ten, six centimeters and I came out of the room and my, my friend um, was waiting for me there and I was like, yeah, you know, he said that I need six, six <laughs> centimeters. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do, you know? And then I was I was starting, you know, I started researching and doing exercise at home and uh, like wrapping chili oil in my thighs and wrapping myself a cling film. Um, it worked. It worked. Like you know it it really I was very dedicated my diet changed. that's when I got into food actually more or less you know into eating and nutrition Um, so in a way it was a blessing in disguise but I never got with that agency and I actually never pursued modeling then as a big thing my modeling became my full-time job when I came to UK because um, my partner at the time didn't really want me to work but he wanted me to model I was a bit of a trophy more than anything else, so um, I think that's why modeling was like a job that you could validate, but nothing else was a job that you could actually justify. So that's when it got there, and then I just continued with it because it was—it's a very interesting industry to be in. You meet so many creative people and incredibly talented people, but you do have to separate yourself from it, especially if you're the one in front of the camera, um, because it's—you know—going back to that body image and I think now it's so much better than it used to be it's so much more versatile you know even you know with Instagram and the growth of social media there's so much more push for 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 variety for diversity in every shape or form or color or you know gender or anything that you can think about which is fantastic because because those people have a market too You have a market, Mm. I have a market, you have a market. You know, we all represent something different. So why is there this one image for how a woman should look and how a man should look? Mm. You know, why is it if there are so many of us looking so differently, you know, and we can't relate to that person? Like it has to be, you have to, you need to be able to relate to the person that is selling you something. Because if they, if you can't relate, then you don't believe them
0: yeah definitely so it's interesting you say this because uh, Craig and I have talked about this in like two podcasts ago about hair so we started off mm, a conversation yes. about hair it just made <laughs> for the first I think third of the conversation was just about hair so there's a symbology of that when mm. someone gives you and I'm saying it to Craig when someone compliments you so much about something you have like for me for my hair yeah. it gets to a point where it's no longer a compliment anymore. So yeah. you, you just accept it when someone says, oh look, as, I don't know if anyone's yeah. told you, but you've got really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, uh, for yeah. you, you, you look, you're a beautiful person. You just think, oh okay, and it just goes over. Yeah. For that person, that might mean the world to them. Yes. But for yeah. you, it's just like, now.
1: But then also you, you try to think, is this something I need to hide? Mm. You know, because that's when I think it can take a weird turn where if somebody compliments you and compliments you or something then or you're then attachment. you're like, Oh, you know what, I'm just gonna wear my hair up because I, I don't know if like these mm. this compliments are getting yeah. weird or, or
2: it can become an attachment. Yeah. You know, and then you do things like I did eight years ago, not saying that there's you know, like, <laughs> anything special, but YouTube. I used to get I used to get um I used to get women who didn't find me attractive saying, oh, I want I want hair like yours, weirdly. And then I cut it off about eight years ago and I felt so weird. I did not feel like myself, like, at all. Like, to the point where I was getting... A guy was taking loads of shots of me doing my skating and then I, I was like, I don't want any pictures taken of me skating anymore. And that that kind of your identity and what you define. If someone, for instance, says, so you check your hair, your hair, your hair, that becomes kind of part of your identity, mm, yeah, I see what you mean. Mean. which can be a good thing, it can yeah. be great as long as it's not twisted and becomes a negative thing or, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a weird one for me.
0: Maybe you have to experience that though. Maybe you both yeah. have to experience that part where you become attached to it. So when someone used to say to me, you had beautiful hair, I used to be like, okay, I'm just going to ride this now. So what about if you cut your hair off? So this is the other thing I was listening to the other day, like I think it was about a week ago. So this guy was putting this question forward to the guy that was uh, answering the question. He said, look, um, he's a good-looking lad and he got so much tension from women all the time that he got sick of it. Because at at the start, Mm. it's amazing, right? But maybe for the first couple of years, it's amazing. But then it gets to a point where now, it's like what Russell Brandon experienced when he was in that industry where... Now you can't uh, differentiate the people that actually like you for the person you are, or they like you for your fame, or they like you because they think you're good looking. You know, and when you get to that stage, you almost have to cut ties with it completely. So you have to almost Mm. do a fast. This is why fasting in the eastern side is so important. So when you fast from something, so for me, um, it got to a phase where I once I took it head on and thought, you know what, I can't really do anything about my hair like I can't really change it it's thick and I can't do anything about it for many years I used to hate it when I was a kid because it used to be just a bush So, and now I got all the compliments and the same with the eyebrows like you know, having thick eyebrows back then it's like why have you got caterpillars on your eyes yeah. and stuff like that we used to get all sorts of names and now looking back it, this is the trend and, yeah. and now it's just like what would I feel like if I completely shaved it off just mm. so I get yeah. the attention completely away from it. Yeah, and but then fair, that
1: would attract a very different kind of attention. Exactly.
0: So you all you've done is basically you've subverted been, your yeah. your demographic. You've gone from the mm. people that like someone with really long hair. Now you switch the demographic. So the way to deal with it is to address it head on. And then I've just realised that if you look at the whole of yoga, and I've had these discussions with a couple of yogis in the last couple of weeks, is. To, to move yoga from this typical white, pretty girl, skinny girl on a mat, yoga mat to move the demographic away, you can't just say, we'll just switch the demographic, yeah. we'll just have Asian people, we'll have black people on the mat. Yeah. No, you've got to kill that. Kill it from the roots, which means take away the the aspect of yoga which is targeting it on the physical. Yeah, yeah So Which is what exactly. you know top yoga companies are focusing on, the pretty girls, the ones that are good Flexible. for the image. Yeah. yeah, so you take that away completely and now you, your yoga practice is based on... Um, the person you are on the inside, you know, how you yeah. you are, you, you see yourself on the inside. And that's what yoga is about. Yeah. It's about yeah. delving on the inside, getting rid of the, the mind and the body, getting away from it, and then separate yourself and becoming the, the Atman or the sort of the, 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 the consciousness.
2: So you're saying that um, people should focus instead on the teacher's intention and how they're framing the classes? Well, I
0: think that's on the teacher themselves. Yeah. So if you portray your class as asanas all the time, yeah, great, you've, you've drawn an audience in now, but then... Teach them the the deeper philosophy. Yeah, of yeah you yoga. layer it in. Yeah. But
2: what's tricky with that as well is you have to be you have to be very aware of how you layer that in because again, I mean, you know, like I was saying to you earlier, I'm vegan. I would never ever just have a massive rant to someone that's eating meat in front of me because i only became vegan free three years ago everything's according to your conditions and things change and you observe and you change as a result of those changes but if someone ever said oh you're healthy you seem well that is when i would pepper that in and i think it's the same with yoga i right. think that in this western world um especially for instance you know block is a good example we have um our other fitness studios the boxing the bar and all of that so the people that are coming into yoga you have the hardcore yogis and a demographic of them but then you also have people that are coming into it to improve their flexibility or because yoga is so marketable and popular they're in the fitness studio anyway they'll try it Mm. if they come to a yoga class and you Pull out spiritual elitism on them and start speaking every single word in Sanskrit, dropping some deep yoga philosophy, not having them moving you have to find a way of mm. making that accessible yeah. um, and you have to find a way of layering it in a way that um, if people are coming just for that movement, they get that subconsciously the work's happening anyway without them realising it, they're learning to cope with stress better, they're learning to um, work into themselves more but then you can layer in those things when people are receptive, and that's something that you have to you have to be really aware of. Mm. Um, I think when you're teaching, is your audience. You have to look at your audience and 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 work Rated. out yeah. yeah, and work out what they're receptive to mm. and what they need on any given day.
0: I think that's with anything. You can't yeah. just bombard someone. let's like say, if a child wants to learn a piano, you can't just be like, "Here's a grand piano." I'm gonna teach you everything, buy all the expensive stuff, and you're gonna learn yeah, it here and that's there. that's what
1: happened to me. And then I literally came home one day. <laughs> Smash I, it! No, I sellotaped, <laughs> I sellotaped my piano, right. and I was like, "Mom, I don't want to play it anymore." I was like, "I don't want to do physically it." Physically
2: sellotaped yeah, it. Yeah,
1: sellotaped it because I was like, "No, I don't want to do it." Because my teacher, she was like, "We're going for the win," you mm. know, like. Like this is it? It's it's victory or nothing. You is know? that
0: aspirations on you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That It's, a, it's the energy? pressure
1: that you feel. And she would like, she would remember, she would like smash my fingertips into the, and she would hit me with a stick on my hands. And she was, she was really, she was an incredible, like a very very talented teacher. And yeah, like the students that she had were, um, were were all so talented and got so many wins for, on different competitions. But you know, it's like when people ride elephants. When people ride elephants, that elephant is is actually taking you somewhere and listening to the person who's sitting on his neck and ramming a stick into his into his ear is because his spirit has been broken. Like this is what they do. They break their spirits when they're babies. When elephants are babies, they tie them by their feet to the to the trees. This is horrible, but this is the reality and I want people to face the reality because ignorance is bliss. This is this is true about so many things so they break their spirit so then they're moldable then they can make whatever they want with them and I think that a lot of times this happens with children as well you break their spirit to make them into something that you haven't achieved Mm -hmm. or maybe this is what like this was my plan like I I didn't get it in my life but you can get it you can be what I wanted to be or you know what my father wanted me to be so you're gonna be that you're gonna be successful and I definitely went a very long way and a long time of um, going through steps that my parents or my parent want me to like he he had a plan and I followed that plan and I was like I'm gonna be the best daughter and I'm gonna be successful and I'm gonna achieve things and then it actually happened quite early like thankfully it happened quite early for me in my life where I was like actually fuck that I want to do exactly what I want to do and I want to be whoever I want to be and I had maybe like a good year or two years with my family where there was friction of my family trying to push what they wanted me to do and I was pushing against Mm -hmm. it and I was like no and they were like this is what you, you should be doing this is what success is and I was like no this is not what I view as success because everybody has different definition of success you know it's like I have, um, I have girls from my classroom school who now they have two children and they have a family and they have a house and they have a dog and they go on holidays. And you look at that life and you think, wow, that's an amazing life. And, you know, maybe for her, this is the definition of success. This is what her success looks like. And then I have people from my class who have done incredible in their career. They're not in a relationship at all. You know, they're doing their own thing. Maybe that's a definition of success for them. Maybe sitting at home and doing nothing. nothing at all is your definition of success. Maybe this is what is making you whole. Go for it. And that is the thing that, you know, when when we talk about the piano and you know, like you're gonna do this because this is the right thing to do, this is the good thing for you to do. I am all for hobbies and sports and taking kids into different like like activities and things like that because you learn so much there you learn discipline and you learn teamwork and you learn to listen and it's just creatively it's so much to learn but at the same time i always feel like you you should have a way out this is not what you want to be doing or this is not something you're feeling you should have a way out and it's exactly the same for me when people baptize their kids early i completely disagree with that i'm really grateful to my dad, who was like, she's not getting christened, because, you know, we, uh, back home, we're Christian Orthodox, you know, kids just get baptised, they just get baptised pretty much as soon as they're born, and you're born into a religion, there is a God that is chosen for you. This is your God, this is your book, this is the book that you should follow, so my family is not really religious, Um, I became an atheist very early on, actually. Um, but I just feel like everybody should have a choice regardless of it's a path that you choose in your life or it's a religion that you want to follow um, because then it just somebody's molding you into something that maybe you're not like maybe I want to break free from the from the little box that somebody was to put me into and my box is shaped into a pyramid
2: Really? <laughs> Fair enough. but it's that tapping into your deep in your deeper intuition mm. yeah rather than you know you can go through your whole life kind of not aware of your subconscious and you are doing things because that's what you've been told is good or you've received praise and it's made you go oh i want to do that more mm. because that makes mm-hmm. me feel mm-hmm. good because people <laughs> like me when i do yeah. that that isn't necessary necessarily your like your real like they call it um like sankalpa in yoga so you're like direction based on your deep intuition and i think that sometimes it it, it's forced like for me it sounds like you were being pushed that much Mm. that actually that side of you pushed back yeah and went okay no this isn't what i want actually i'm going to rebel from this um but that's you're a fortunate person for doing that because
0: at least you have the the tenacity and the character to say actually no and I think I was exactly the same thing Like you know for the yeah, typical yeah. Indian being a doctor being a, either part of the finance industry a lawyer or a, you know, yeah. a accountant etc and then our an engineer those were the three careers if you chose anything else you're a failure yeah you know and, and I guess in a certain degree I'm out of the I have uh, three of the siblings so out of the four of us I was a failure to my parents because I used to get in trouble all the time and then I used to not follow the typical path, North, yes. so then once you've accro- you come to that bridge, you've crossed it, there's nothing else. So no. now I'm a failure in, in my parents' eyes so I have no expectation to live by now.
1: Exactly. So you've, you've terminated exactly. that. Exactly. And then you can
2: be your own person. But then on the flip side of that, it seems to me like your dad is quite a strong headed person, he knows his mind, he knows what he wants to achieve, so maybe in a way he's instilled that in you without meaning to where 100%. you've got to the point where, where you've got I mean
1: you know it's like my 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 dad taught me to swim by throwing me in the water mm. he taught me to, to ride a bicycle by running next to me holding my neck and then letting me go yeah and yeah. then i would fall and then he would do that again and i would fall and this is how he made me learn things but but you know what the the it's also what I learned from my, my dad the most, and what I'm most grateful for, is how little expectations I have of people, and how little I think that somebody is going to help me, do anything for me, or be there for me. It can be difficult because when I think, you know, it has two, two kind of sides to that coin, because on the one side, I have so little expectations of people that you can't disappoint me. I already had no expectations of you, so you you can't disappoint me. You can only make me feel good because it's like, oh, you're a really good person. I'm so happy to have you in my life, you know? But, you know, if you're a shit person, then I'm like, okay, you know, keep walking, you know, keep looking forward. That person just, you know, slides to the side. But on the other side of that is me... Not having those those expectations also means that your trust to people is quite minimal. Mm. You know, I don't really trust people on how they will treat me, or you know, you, you just you always doubt like how people feel about you, and I think that's why you just don't really let people in then. And I think for me in relationships, when it comes to like intimate relationship, it, it has always been a thing as well where I just. Like, I love you, but but if you decide to go with somebody else tomorrow, I'll be like, okay. Yeah,
0: whatever. Yeah, it's you know, really, really you have
1: to let people go because I have to, like, I can't, I can't dwell on it. I have to move on. I have it's to really, force myself. It's to really move.
2: interesting, actually, because I'm probably from the opposite end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. but I'm that way, and you kind of, you're yeah. aware of that as well with mm-hmm. me, where I'm not, I've got to the stage now where, I genuinely am in a place where if somebody changes the way they are with you or they break your trust or do any of those kind of things, it's not something that I'm going to see as a reflection of me not being good mm. enough. Mm. It's something where I'm like, oh, okay, well, this obviously isn't working anymore. And it's interesting, I think, that a lot of people, when they hold on to relationships and stuff, I think it genuinely comes down to a, a fear of death, actually, mm. and a fear of change and a lot of people fear change, they fear, oh, yeah. but that that fear of change, it always comes from that fear of death, and I'm not saying like, oh, I'm fearless, I'm not afraid of death or anything, but what it is is that actually I just accept things as they are, yeah. um, and I, I remember actually my um, previous partner, um, I remember when I was studying the yoga philosophies deeper and it really resonated with me uh, the yamas and the niyamas and I remember um, this idea of non-attachment and I started speaking to her about non-attachment and she immediately decided that was related to our relationship related to her somehow being disposable and all of that and actually, no, what it was what I was trying to say at that point was that I don't need to be with anybody i choose Choose to be there which surely is more carries more weight you know i don't want to hold on to things and be like i need these things because actually in reality and life you know the only thing you need is to be aware internally of your internal landscape and um nourish that and feed that Mm. you know in a positive way and things externally can change there's something terrible can happen to you and that can be it's all about your perspective Mm. and how you absorb that information something you could consider to be the worst thing can happen to you and a year later you can look back on Mm. that and depending on how you've received it that can change your life massively for the better and it's all about your interpretation of it and it's all about your internal narrative are you a victim in that narrative are you oh this person's left me and you know, it's because I'm not good enough or it's because they've treated me badly. There's no good or bad, there's just narratives. Yeah. We create a narrative to try and understand and interpret things because what we don't know, we're scared of. Yeah. And, and as a result of that, I think that, you know, people can become very attached to things because they've created a narrative, but your, yeah, your lens is everything. Your perspective is everything.
0: I think Sadhguru mentions that in the best possible way. He says, if you look at a person that's either, you know, half brain dead because a part of their brain doesn't function, they look more peaceful than most people see on the street. So our own mind, our own intelligence has become our own enemy because Mm -hmm. we've allowed it to become our own enemy. So most of life is pretty much, the the thing that separates us from animals, when I was studying animals, the biggest thing that separated us from animals is our ability to to respond to things consciously to have a conscious choice about something so if someone breaks up with you you can either be also sorry if someone cheats on you you can either be just as bad and, and sleep with someone else you know and cheat mm. on them just to say look i'm going to one-up you and we're going to even this out or you can choose to say actually i don't want to be a part of this sort of mentality and this lifestyle so i need to go my separate mm. way now so we have a choice we can choose to respond to certain situations or we can choose to react animals don't have that you know well there are only a few animals that have that that can actually respond to a situation, as opposed to reacting to their instincts. You know, you've got many um, cases where people get mauled by a lion or mauled by a shark, etc. That's the animal reacting to that. And why do we never hold the shark accountable for it? Well, it's because they don't have a conscious choice; yeah, they, they react. Yeah. Whereas human beings, when a human being decides to kill someone, that's a conscious yeah. choice. You've chosen to kill someone, unless obviously through accident and they've died through an accident. That's mm-hmm. different. Yeah. But you have a conscious choice about that. So when people say, well, you know, um, a man's instinct is to, to sleep with as many women as possible. Yeah, a man, man's instinct is there to do that, but it's whether you're choosing to do that so that yeah. makes you a human being. Yeah. So you have that natural instinct that you, you know, the animal instinct to procreate, but you have a choice whether you want to react on that. So when, and I think a lot of guys do go through this, you go through a phase where you just, you think the numbers and the amount of women you sleep with is <laughs> going to gratify you. But then the more you get into it, the more you start to realise this shit is not working. It's the opposite. It
2: it is the most emptiest I have ever felt was when I was a teenager and I was behaving like that. And I had my friends around me validating it. Being like, wow, nowhere." Oh, you know, yeah, tell me about this. Do all of this. And then I I realised one day, I was like, I am empty. Like, this is absolutely means nothing what i'm doing right now is meaningless and you know not only that the person the people who were involved in those situations i wasn't considering their feelings at all Mm -hmm. or or how it was affecting them and yeah yeah definitely it's not the way at all it's that and that is but that is again That is you being molded by male society Mm -hmm. and what is expected of you and that idea of the archetypal male, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, you're attractive to the opposite sex, you're strong, Mm -hmm. you don't have emotions. All of that is kind of subconsciously programmed in and then your peer group, they elevate that. that, They give you that validity to think that that is the way. and again, that was something that was a big life-changing point for me because yeah. I was in and out of relationships all the time for validation, and then one, and then at one point when I realised that I chose to not be in a relationship and not actually entertain. Um,
0: press the middle one and then press the recording.
2: Not not entertain the attentions of the opposite sex, mm. purely because um, I knew it was doing me no good at all. And actually I felt really lonely and really miserable for about two months because I wasn't getting that validation. And then finally I remember going, woke up one morning and I was like, I'm actually happy to be me without anyone going, oh, you're great at skating or you're really good or this or that or any of these things that were just feeding me beforehand and that kind of short term validation. I was like, actually, I'm genuinely I'm good you know I don't need
0: someone to tell me that yeah this is why fasting is so important Mm. because you whether it's fasting food wise because that's what most people think fasting food wise the other thing I've been practicing is fasting verbally so controlling the amount of speech and how you're talking so you know just to sit at home and (laughs) not and only saying a hundred words throughout the day that's something that needs to be almost pushed oh as much God. as Oh my God, maybe we'll practice
1: that at the moment. <laughs> I
2: can, I, yeah, well, I'll, I can do a I'd be interested in doing a Vipassana meditation, a yeah. silent meditation. Um, I think that I could probably do that if I turn my mind to stuff, I am very disciplined mm. when I make a decision Definitely. on something. But it's um, something
0: we should all practice, like at least once a month, maybe once a year at least. You would love that, But then it's you? also the other thing as well, <laughs> I which, is, like, please, which is the please harder thing for most words. people to do, which is celibacy. Yeah. And there's a period of time, and I think Craig would now bashed this point so many times, but I'm gonna make it one more point. <laughs> it's, if, you, if you're in a relationship with someone, and what will happen is, yeah, originally it starts off that it's emotional, and it's mm. the, the sort of, the sort of you, you enjoy the person's company, you enjoy yeah. that person. But as soon as sex comes into the equation, what usually happens is, if the sex is great, now that becomes the, the, the but, reason why yeah. you're staying together, and you don't realize it. So once in a while, I think healthy relationships, to maintain healthy relationships, you have to walk away sometimes, and let's say the person's away on a, on a trip, or like for you, hmm. you're away modeling, or you're doing your food hmm. stuff. For the other person to sit down, and especially for a guy, this is mainly for a guy, not for a girl, because for a girl, naturally speaking, she's looking for a base, a home to create a family, yeah. right? If you're going purely by the evolutionary perspective, a woman is looking for a guy that she can create a family with, so she needs a stronger guy that can support the family environment. So a guy needs to go away sometimes and think to himself: am I with this person because I actually love this person, the person she is, or am I with her because the sex is great? Now, if it's because the sex is great, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. What you just need to realize is actually, let's try and balance the scales now. Let's, yeah. let's el- eliminate sex for now for maybe a week or something, two weeks, maybe a month. And then try and reflect on this uh, question again. Am I with this person because I actually want to be with this person? Yeah. Or is it because the sex is now coming in the way? Yeah. So at each time this battle is going on with us, especially for a guy, it's always yeah. going on. Because a guy can emotionally separate himself from sex if he wants to. Just be stern and just say, I'm going to completely eliminate it." Whereas a girl can't 100% do that. She has that in her to yeah. have that emotional yeah. attachment. She's made to receive and a guy's made to give. So to remo- remove that just for a period of time. And that's why in Hinduism they have so every fifteenth day of the month you would fast whether that's sexually uh, verbally even like fruit the fruit and vegetables and, and the food mm. that you consume you fast on that for the whole day so then you have that reflective ability to every uh, every once in 15 days you yeah. have that break where you realise actually you know I'm appreciating what I have with this person so yeah I think that's, that's mightily important to, to maintain a healthy relationship with anything even with just yourself if you're a person that's living on your own fast for a period of time, and for me, foolish for you, like, you went through the phase where you were sleeping with multiple women, I had that late, and then when I had that period where I was burnt out from it, it transmutated into celibacy and then like yeah. brahmacharya. Now, yeah. I can't let go of that path, so if I meet someone and I tell them straight away, I'm celibate, um, and if it doesn't resonate with them and they feel like, okay, actually, I can't be this person, that's fine, you know, that's yeah. not a problem on, well, because me. It's, not, it, it's not,
1: it's not... Like, that's not your connection, then. You know, you can't connect with that person if they, you know, because that just creates resentment. If they're not on the same level with mm. you about it, that creates resentment and that spreads out to other aspects of the relationship.
2: But the reality of it is, though, is that you're in a position where you'll meet someone that is the right person for you to meet that will be receptive to that and will appreciate the discipline that it takes yeah. for you to be in that environment and actually then I'm sure that path would potentially change at that point where it's like, okay, this person's completely accepting of exactly who I am. They understand the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing and they appreciate me without that side of it. Mm. And then, then it's like, okay, that's when that situation could potentially change.
0: Or it's the other way around. It's either one or the other. You're either gonna find that perfect person or you're gonna find no one. Mm. And it's whether you're willing to take that second path, which is a complete life of celibacy and that's what I'm doing now it's a complete life of brahmacharya you might find someone great but even in that environment it's to have a brahmacharya lifestyle so you only procreate pretty much for the reason to have children
1: I think with brahmacharya or not it's the same in every Mm. relationship you can go through so many relationships where you you know you feel like this is the one, this is going to be the one and then, you know, something goes wrong you know, it's it's not even that something goes wrong you just grow in different yeah. ways yeah. or you get interest in different things and then that pulls your attention and it takes your attention from what us used to be and then you find yourself as a person separate from that person and then it just depends where you kind of float um, and then you know, it, it, it is again, it's kind of maybe you will meet that person that just and it's not even that it ticks the boxes it's just that it's you know it's it's good like you don't have to double like you, you don't have to ask yourself about it all the time or mm. you don't have to wonder or you just don't answer you ask yourself any questions that need answering yeah. um, that's or,
0: liberating that, that feeling yeah, is liberating
1: exactly so I think I think whatever path you choose there is still that risk of maybe you will never meet that person and then either you make a choice of being alone or you make a choice of being with somebody but always feeling not quite complete. But mm. that's, I think, that is mostly to you, to, about you than the other person because it's not up to the other person to fill mm. the gaps and the voids that you have inside of you. It is up so. to you to figure them out. But, and, but yeah, you know, sometimes I, I think that if we take our, ourselves on a path of self-exploration or, you know, just trying to dig a little bit deeper and understand why we are the way we are, our personalities or our traits, um, you, you really can um, pull yourself away from that person because suddenly it's not even that, you know, oh, you are filling my voids, you complete me um, because I need to complete me. Yourself. And, but then that also can take it like I say to the other way because you're like well actually I'm quite complete just as I am I don't need anybody else but then it's what the other person brings into that completeness mm-hmm. and the layers that it can layer onto that uh, you know it's almost like a sphere like the way that I visualize it it's a sphere of your completeness and then that person just layers in and you know like how I was telling of that embrace and that you know, that that, that that feeling of security or feeling of, you know, just somebody being there for you. I think It's like icing it. on a cake. Yeah, you exactly. Can, you can have
0: the cake completely fine, you and don't it's need great, the icing, yeah. but it's nice to have the icing on top. Exactly. That, so. Yeah,
2: it's definitely, you know, there is that issue in society where a lot of people, they think they need to be with someone because they're trying to fill the gaps. Ooh with that person and validate themselves That's a lot
1: of expectation on the other person as well, you know? Like, oh, I'm placing that responsibility on you to... Yeah,
2: but that's what society teaches yeah. people. Society goes, oh, you know, what's your boyfriend like? What's your boyfriend do? You know, they, they are filling... It's about them, not really about What car about does he
1: drive, you know? And it's not, even if it's not the car that he well, they expect your boyfriend to have... It's
2: a good thing, it's a good thing that people aren't asking you that question, because I've got a rusty bonnet. But bucket. that's the thing, you
1: know,
0: but... I but, like
2: it, guys. Unique. Well, unique, unique is a lovely way of... It's a of good saying,
1: way to put
0: it,
2: yeah. The rusty bonnet's the best But, there. you know,
1: it is like, you know, for example, you know, you would look at me and, you know, if I if we weren't together and when you just met me and, you know, me and Lee weren't together... Um, you would have probably got an image in your head of a person that I mm. would have been with. The same way as I meet you, I probably have an image in my head of what you should have in my what head. What was your image? <laughs> yeah,
2: I want to know what, what your image would be of me, like, for instance. a yoga girl for you? The yogi, yeah, but how boring would that be though? <laughs> Can you imagine? Would you like this? Is the other thing as well? But I don't
1: when, know. I think you would have been right, no, all the time. No,
2: no, no. I'm not so sure. I think I've seen not a Jolly is right
1: now, uh, yeah, exactly.
2: I've seen. Oh, he loves situ- the
1: challenge, he loves the challenge of of moody me. And you I know. mean, how
2: would I be able to practice my yamas and niyamas exactly. without without a slightly angry angry girlfriend? Well um, then it's
0: the fact that you two have worked so well is because you've complemented each other, but you haven't taken away from each other's traits as well—the no. positive no. traits. Because you could easily say you need to sit still and stop, you know, being so. Morbid. And
1: sometimes I do, Chet. Sometimes I
0: do, <laughs> like giving you patient, a little side. <laughs> my patient
1: only expands so far because sometimes you know it—it's because we are, in a way, we are like extremes of either end mm. in a lot of ways, and sometimes I. You know, I think it's a good good opportunity for, for both of us to grow towards each other. So if we are the opposite ends of that extreme, we're growing towards each other into the middle, into a balance, into a more balanced way. Because you know, sometimes I am like, oh, you know, that's fine, you know, he's just, he's just talking a lot or he's like jumping all over the place. And I just try to compose myself and I try to just, you know, find that comfort in mm. it um and but sometimes i don't have the patience for that at all and then i'm like leah stop like stop go pick that up go pick that up put that where you took it from because then you will be looking for it because you are just chaos on and then
2: sometimes i'm like oh okay i'm done with that and i'll just go and jump about somewhere else mm-hmm. but actually it's been interesting because obviously in the situation where we've been in we lockdown. lockdown we've had a, a lot of time that we've spent together and i think we've done a really good job of p- understanding what each other needs at mm-hmm. certain points and and kind of giving each other a little bit of space at certain yeah, points because
1: you know i think space can be interpreted in such a negative way like when people say oh i need a space, space. Yeah. and i just i just think that it's not that i need space from you I need space for me, me yeah. like this is what i'm asking for i'm not asking for that you need to be out of my way because i would tell everybody to be out of my way unless it's a person that is completely on the same level with me and will just sit in silence with me and like not disturb my energetic space mm. because you know it's it's just that i need space for me i just want to sit and i don't know look at my cooking books or watch a cooking show or I just want to sit and do nothing in silence and this is where I recharge and then you can come back and I can give you my best self because if I don't have that time I just it's like you know it's just like water that keeps boiling over and over and over and then it just evaporates Mm -hmm. and then I have nothing to give you at all so you need to turn the heat off for me to go still so that again you know we can turn the heat back on but
0: that's a great analogy actually. but you know yeah.
1: otherwise i just i have nothing left to give you if i have nothing left to give myself but and no. that is important like i have to keep that vessel half full for me because that energy is important for me but then
2: also in terms of that is the kind of thing where when i can see she's like that if i had this issue or concern about who i am I would see that mm. as something to get upset or offended mm. about yeah. and it would become something that really like chips. away, oh yeah. she doesn't like me, I'm not good enough, oh I'm not the right, you know, she needs me to be different, I need to be a different person, whereas actually there's times where I'm just like, oh yeah, I can see she's like that, mm. I'm going to go and do my own thing and I just leave her to it and then all is good, whereas I think if we didn't have those cues with each other, especially over this period of lockdown, um,
0: it would have been tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, you need that area, it's like Superman reference, you need that uh, fortress of solitude. A mm. place where it's just yeah. you thinking for yourself in an in environment that you're comfortable in, mm. focusing on yourself and that's it. And that's why I have, I have an office where I have a lot of my coats to the side. Mm. And people think, why are you in your closet? I'm like, it's not in my closet, it's my <laughs> office. I have a giant screen in my face so that's why it feels like I'm right in front of the screen. But mm you need that space so then you can filter away all this stuff that's going around you and Mm. you can just say actually I'm going to be able to focus on myself and at times you can get points and you probably can relate to this but when you're that person that has so much energy and you're giving so much it's the analogy that you said you're giving it's like a battery you're giving so much of your battery to other people the energy away that you need to recharge you can get too caught up in being stuck on the plug so you can get yeah. your phone and leave the plug in all day and that also drains the battery, of but in course. a different way. Yeah, yeah, so you have to course. make sure that you don't get stuck in that own, that inner world so much that you now don't want to involve yourself in the
2: outer world. But that's the balance between yin and yang, isn't it? That's finding that balance in your existence, which I think yoga has given me a lot of. And actually I've realized, especially over the last week, um, you know, I used to have self-practice. I used to do an hour of self-practice a day And I I remember I said, right, I'm going to do 365 days of yoga. And Mm. I'm like you, where if I set myself, like, if I go, I'm going to do this, I follow it through. And actually, I got to the end of that year and was like, oh, I'm not done with this. And I think when block opened was when that period stopped of self-practice. And I think I'd done like 485 days of at least an hour, most of the time, two hours of yoga practice a day. And actually something I've realised over the last couple of weeks is that that is my fortress of solitude. Like when I go and... And it's not even necessarily if I go to someone else's practice now. Like I love going to other people's practices. But if I literally put some headphones in and put some music in and just do my own practice and just like intuitively listen to what my body needs or not even what my body needs or just what my body feels like doing, that is my place of real... Solitude and stillness, and it might be through movement, and you know, there's elements of meditation and breath, depending on the day. But that is where I completely, I'm in my my space, anyway, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I find actually, if I pull away and retract from people too much, and I rest too much, and I sleep too much, mm. I become very, way, yeah. yeah, very, um, very lethargic, very demotivated, very.
0: Not not particularly happy,
2: so it's yeah. always it's that balancing act, isn't it? Yeah,
0: hundred percent. So talking about that sleep, so I've been looking into so there's a monk that I, I message quite a bit. He's a friend of mine. Um, there, I was looking through Patanjali's yoga sutras, and he talks about three three hours of meditation. If you can get to that three hour point, that's when things really change. So, so I was just talking to this monk about it, and said he he was doing it for seven years straight whilst he was becoming a monk, and now because he giving his teachings so much that he just doesn't get the time. But when he used to do it, I said, what were the kind of side effects you felt? And he goes, well, the first thing that went was his sleep, his desire for sleep. And the thing is, we put so much importance on sleep in the Western world, eight hours of sleep a day. That's because of the type of lifestyle we're living. Mm. The, the type of lifestyle these yogis are living and the type of lifestyles my ancestors in India were living, like my grandparents' generation, and then, to a lesser extent my parents' generation, when we we're there, is um, you actually don't need that much sleep. You know, Your body is designed for all the time, yes. but it's how you dedicate that sleep and what quality of sleep you're getting. So these monks would be meditating for three hours, maybe up to six hours a day, so they will be sleeping, like normal sleep, like yeah. an hour, maybe half an hour a day, and they will be fine because their body is, is sleeping in a different way when, they, when they're meditating. And I started increasing my meditation time, so now I'm on about 40 minutes, 40, 50 minutes, in, nice. and I do one session in the morning, one session at night before I go to bed, and I realized just the, the awareness just like picking up on the tiny little things that are going on in the environment and just being sensitive to everything so you know I've always been good with paying attention to details So when someone says you know oh you don't remember my name because I'm terrible at remembering names I remember you you saying something about something and I can specifically pinpoint you saying that exact way you said it and Mm -hmm. how you constructed the sentence and how you said it I'm good at that but also picking up on like tiny little things like flies and stuff moving Mm -hmm. around even when you're in a conversation with someone so it really brings up the senses to a level where now, you know, you're not, it's no longer your main sense of just verbal talk, it's just looking at things, it's listening to things, smelling things, it just goes up off the roof. And I've noticed that's affecting my sleep patterns now. Because I would sleep eight hours a day, and like you said about your sleep, if you sleep for too long, it can also be a detrimental effect on you. Now I feel very lethargic at eight hours a day. Yeah. I need to have, you know, no more than about five or six hours a day, because yeah. the rest of the time you're meditating. So. You know, yeah. why are you adding so more? It's
2: still resting. It's, it's interesting. And, you know, if you look up the research on yoga nidra and the benefits and also sound healing, and, you know, they talk about how one hour of sound healing in a gong bath is the equivalent of four hours of sleep. And yeah. if you're practicing all of those things, those meditations, if you're going deeper like that, I've definitely gone through periods over the last few years where... Um, my sleep's been affected and definitely when I first got into dharma yoga and I was practicing that three times a week and there were two hour practices that was I had a real was one point I remember and I was so hyper aware of everything but I was in such a peaceful uh, um, state of equanimity all the time I felt so measured and calm I'd go and take my dog for a walk on the park and I was aware of everything Mm. and it's um it's interesting because it's tapping into those layers of the kosher you know so many of us the kosher so many of us um in society we're taught to live on very much the physical level Mm. we're taught that what we look at look like is the most important you know that's important how do you look what are you wearing um what do you own uh you know and and what can you do rather than all of these other deeper layers that are the things that really dictate your happiness, we're taught to ignore those, you know? Our society teaches us to do the opposite, to take everything from the external and allow that to validate us rather than exploring the internal and really changing our
0: landscape. Yeah, and that's why mental health problems are a big thing. If you look at the East, there's a documentary on YouTube, that's right, there's a documentary on YouTube called the Gypsy Cobra, so the Rajasthani Gypsy people and you watch the documentary, I showed it to a few of my friends and there's not a single person you see in that environment that's depressed you just don't have it because depression in that environment they don't have much but the stuff they have they are utilising to the maximum Mm. you know they're living those lifestyles where they're they're smiling all the time they're meeting each other in social groups, they're playing music, enjoying each other's company so you don't have that environment where you have those mental problems and you're living in such a tight community of people, very small Numbers like 300 people, maybe 400 people, and then when you're meeting people in like these festivals, then you're that's the only time you ever meet bigger crowds, so you're no longer away from other people's sort of issues. You know, you're, you're sorry, you're away from other people's issues, so you're not having to deal with all that on a constant basis. Whereas right now, every time you open your news or your phone, you see the news and it tells you about all the issues that other people are going through and all this yeah. is happening around us. That, Feeds us subconsciously and it affects us. It well, drains
2: us. Tra- tra- and it is physically traumatizing you. Mm-hmm. It is actually putting tension into your body. And also, you know, I mean, obviously, with everything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter stuff at the moment, it's incredibly important. There's so many underpinning structures in society that need to be changed. But something that really, really needs to be highlighted that I don't think is being highlighted at the minute is so much. is the re traumatization that people will be going through when they're reliving really all of these experiences. You know, if you if you have an experience that happens to you that is traumatizing Every single time you talk about it and you go over it again, it's re traumatizing you physically in your fascial net of your body. So that's something that I think really could do with being highlighted and addressed with everyone that's going through what they're going through at the minute and everyone who's being re traumatised is actually like like there there needs to be some more of this kind of healing going on, yin, sound, it's breath. self-reflection, isn't it? All yeah. of that kind of stuff. That could really, really that it, it, that is so important right now it's so critical and I think there's there's a lot of people that are going right you know we've got to take action we're moving we're doing these movements but where are they practicing their self-care as well because just like that battery you know if you give everything out they'll get drained at a point you know so yeah and
0: it's just about going on the individual level and focusing on what issues you have that you need to correct not what other people are doing and don't point people out and say why are you not doing something it has to come at the individual level. And I think that's one thing that this movement has taught me, it's taught me that people are not willing to face that, they're not willing to face the individual, so they're willing to go out there and say, actually this is what the problem is, and it's again like what you just said, it's the external, oh these these pillars or these people or these statues are the problem and this representation is wrong and these social structures are wrong, what about the individual level? And this is where yeah. we operate, it's the ind- individual level, we don't operate in a group mentality, you know and that's what the problem is we're we're so caught up in that group mentality that now that identity of that group has become us when that doesn't represent who we are as individuals yeah
2: Um, I mean I've been trying to um take a lot of information in and digest a lot and I know that um at Block it's been a really big thing it's become a, a big part of you know Block was never political um never never really humanitarian um but then you know you look at our um all of the teachers and all of the staff at Block, it's massively diverse, and I think, you know, one of the teachers kind of pointed it out as, why are we not doing anything about it? And, you know, it, it took someone highlighting that for us to realise that that was something that we we were potentially, potentially um, we have so much to offer there that we weren't offering. Um, and it's it's been really, really amazing and fascinating to learn about all of these things that I was never really consciously aware of because they weren't on my radar at all and it wasn't, I wasn't aware that there were those things in society or those structures that were affecting certain people in certain ways. Um, But again, you know, I've been digesting and reflecting and I've definitely had a few people messaging me saying... You know your platform that you have you should be speaking up more and obviously i've been doing all the stuff with block but then i felt like i want to i want to learn all of these things so that when i am saying something when i am speaking it is coming from a place of of i'm not just copying pasting Mm. you know i i actually mean this and i understand you know i i i'm I'm with everyone and supporting them, but it is from a place as well of understanding and truly learning and listening rather than just speaking, Mm. like truly digesting and looking at that from an internal level, like internally, what can I change, what can I do differently rather than, um, oh, I'll repost this because then I'm part of the crowd and I'm with the rest of the people who are talking about this, you know? Yeah,
0: it's just surface level. Yeah. With the
2: situation well it won't you know a couple of months down the line that kind of that kind of sharing stories rather than taking action internally as well as externally you know it'll be interesting to see in a few months mm. how that yeah. changes 100%
0: Right, I think this is a great place to wrap up. That camera's died enough times. I think. I know. We've only about three three hours. hours. Well, that's all it's about. It's about you guys. They look at us all the time. time. (laughs) Be sure they're not bored of your face
2: and your beautiful
1: (laughs) hair, chat. You'll get enough of chat's face.
0: Right, guys. So this was podcast number seventeen, and. Yeah, I was, it was an amazing conversation. We've got to have you guys back again. But this time, Craig will be present.
2: We'll be back with <laughs>
0: Craig. will be present as yeah. well. Oh, amazing. So this will be on Instagram, uh, YouTube, and Spotify. And then also, I'll get your social media links so then people can follow
1: you guys. So cool. Right. Yeah, perfect. Right, we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks Adios. guys for having us.